0: You know, uh, the Lord had given me part of the message today, and I didn't know where to fit it in, but I feel like it's actually a word for right here, right now. And that word came from uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1. And Paul writes to young Timothy, and he says, Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command, this command, in keeping with the prophecies that were once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. Holding on to the faith and to a good conscience. And so I just want to encourage you. You know, if you've grown weary in the battle, if you've got that prodigal and you're just like, oh, Lord, what am I going to (laughs) do? If you're dealing with a medical condition and it just seems like every visit to the doctor you get worse and worse news, it's not getting any better. You know, if if you get just a a bill out of the blue and you have no idea how you're going to make ends meet. Whatever your struggle is, I want to challenge you to go back to some of those prophetic words that you've received. If you've been here at New Hope for any duration of time, you've got a book of them. <laughs> if you need some, come see us. We will, we will prophesy. We will declare what we hear the Lord speaking over you. But more than that, you know, the, the more sure and certain things, go back to the word of God, to the promises that he has made. Every single one of God's promises are prophetic words for your life. They are yes and amen. They will come to pass. And by recovery, calling and remembering those prophetic words, you can fight the battle well. Because you're no longer fighting the enemy and getting all distracted and discouraged. You're just standing on the solid rock of God's word. And you've got the higher ground, right? And anybody who's watched Star Wars, you know Anakin, I got the higher ground, right? You know, you, you got the victory. It's certain. It's yes. It's amen. It's yours. So stand on those prophetic words. Declare them over your life, especially when you don't believe them and don't see how they're going to happen. Declare his truth and watch what happens. Watch those valleys of dry bones of hopelessness come alive, right? Yeah. Let's, yeah. So, so this morning we're going to release. I'm sorry. We want to keep the kids in, so you're just going to have to cancel this morning. No. We're going to lease the kids back to Children's Church pray they have a blessed time hearing some of those promises of God. And, uh, well, the rest of y'all are stuck with me, but we're going to be talking about some good stuff this morning. We're going to be talking about the power of praise. The power of praise. Um, for any of those who are uh, parents, you probably have learned this through all your lovely parenting books that come out and everything, right? Because we, we come to realize this reality, That we were created by God. We were designed by God to be able to do two things. First of all, to give praise. But we were also created with the innate need to be praised. You know, you don't really think about this or talk about this. It seems to be, you know, contradictory to the humility that we're taught to have in the Word of God. But the reality is, is that we need praise. Um, And you'll see this happen, whether at school, your workplace, whether it's in your marriage, if you're volunteering someplace for an organization, wherever you look, you will find that people who receive praise for what they do, they will work harder, they will last longer, they will stick with the organization, they will go above and beyond When they receive praise and acknowledgement for what they're doing, right? And what they've achieved and accomplished. Um, People who know that they are appreciated um, and that their efforts are noticed, they will always go above and beyond what's expected of them, right? I mean, just generally speaking, that's how we are. We are innately created with that need for praise. With that in mind, if that's the truth, then you find the opposite can also be true. You know, a lot of times um, marriages are struggling, not because anything's really bad, but because you've kind of lost that in your marriage, you stopped kind of being like, oh, man, you're just so beautiful. You know, oh, I love that. Did you do something new with your hair? You know, um, you, you forget to praise your spouse or like, you know, I mean, I'm not a woman, but like, you know, sweet, I'm so, I'm so proud of you for going out there and mowing, you know, in that heat and, you know, and whatever, you know. I mean, praise, a little bit of praise goes a long way, right? You feel loved. You feel respected when you receive praise. Um, a lot of times businesses, they lose good, hardworking employees. Why? Because they just take them for granted. They stop thanking them for what they're doing. Stop acknowledging. Stop praising their employees. And next thing you know, they're moving off to another company, right? A lot of issues are created because of this. Um, Players, right? They give up on sports because, you know, maybe they... uh, They're really awesome players, but all their coach ever does is criticize them for that mistake that they made, right? Instead of praising them uh, for all the good plays that they made. I mean, we go on and on and on and on. I mean, look at the state of our nation. An entire nation can be destroyed by focusing on the issues and never taking time to just celebrate the successes, to celebrate the good things that really are going on in the midst of it all, right? Everywhere in life, this rings true. Because we were created that way. Um, In life, we need a healthy balance. Um, We need a healthy balance. We need to be aware of the issues that we have, right? I don't want people just to puff me up all the time. I need to know the weaknesses that I have and the issues that I need to be working on. But you also need that praise. You need a healthy balance in life of these two things, of critiques and a healthy dose of praise when you get things right. This balance between our downfalls and strengths, it keeps us moving forward in a healthy way. What it does is it develops within our life A healthy attitude. You're not too prideful and arrogant, thinking that you're all that because you only ever get praised, right? But you're also not down on yourself, thinking, "Man, I can just never get it right. I can just measure up. I'll never be good enough. I'll never, I'll never be able to do this." Right? Um, There's a healthy balance in your attitude. And I love this quote of of Charles Swindoll. If you've never heard it before, you're going to hear it this morning. And I I always remind myself of this quote in life. He said, "The longer that I live," and he's a little bit older than me. You know, I'm not going to say how old he probably is, but He said, the longer that I live, the more that I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude, to me, is more important than the facts. Don't we need to hear that in the nation today, right? Our attitude is more important than the facts. We cannot change our past. And we certainly cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string we have— and that is our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% of what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. You know, our attitude in life, it doesn't have to be controlled by our circumstances. Why? Because you are a spirit-filled believer. You've been set free from that trap of living by your emotions and feelings, haven't you? You've been set free from that trap. You're not controlled by them anymore. You live by faith and not by sight, right? You are no longer controlled by your circumstances. You get to speak God's truth into your facts and into your circumstances and see things change. You're a prophetic nation, right? You get to speak some good news into hopelessness and to see the atmosphere change. Now, we're still in this flesh, and guess what? Those things will still affect your attitudes. They will try to, right? When circumstances come up in life, it, it, it takes some, you know, real maturity to be able to, um, uh, to, uh, to step away from that and to respond in a different way. And what we find here this morning, we're going to turn, if you want to get ahead of me here, to Genesis chapter 29. We find this attitude getting challenged, and we see the result of living life with one attitude versus living life with an attitude. Now in Genesis 29, we're going to start in uh, verse 14. Sorry, a new microphone's on its way, so I'm not doing the... I can juggle, but I'm not going to try to juggle my phone. It it would be entertaining for you guys, but heartbreaking for my screen. Um, (laughs) But we find here, this is actually the beginning of the nation of Israel, the very beginning And you would think that the people that God chose to represent Him on the face of the earth would have a glorious beginning. I mean, a holy, righteous beginning. But we'll find something quite the opposite. It begins in just... It looks more like a modern-day soap opera than it does the beginning of A Nation of God. I mean, you got one dude, and whether you realize it or not, but the 12 tribes of Israel, they were a result of four women, (laughs) One dude, four women. I mean, it's just like something you find down the street, right? And yet God chose, not that that was right necessarily, two wives, two servants, like it's just a mess of things. But what should encourage us this morning, it's not that that was right, but it was that God chose to work through it. He worked it together for good. He chose to bless it. And if he can bless that mess in that situation, I think you're doing all right, right? He, He could probably bless you in your life as well. So Genesis 29, starting verse 14 find a story of two women, two sisters. It says, after Jacob had stayed with him, that was uh, Leban, his, uh, his uncle, he went there, he stayed for a whole month. Laban said to him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. I not you wish your employer would ask you that? Just tell me what, tell me what, what, what you want paid, right? Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, and I'm just going to interpret that with, uh, you know, glasses in a modern day translation for our sake. But Rachel, she had a lovely figure. She's beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel, and he said, I will work for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Now, I know that culturally doesn't play out in the United States here. You can't like sell women for money, not legally, at least in most states, you know. (laughs) But in this cultural context, the same as it still is over in the eastern side of the world, you know, it's a different culture they live in. So Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. So stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Now, If I've ever seen a picture of what our service to the Lord should look like, it should be this. You work for years, laboring, toiling, you know? Yeah, it doesn't feel like that because of your love for Him. Because you just love Him that much. It's like nothing. It's like when an opportunity arises to go out and to serve somebody or, you know, to serve an organization. You just kind of click your heels of joy and you do it, right? Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm all tethered this morning. That's what it should be like, and that's what it was here for Jacob. Says so then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife. My time here is up. I want to make love to her. So Laban <laughs> Love my daughter, ood. So Laban brought together all the people of the place, and he gave a huge feast. But when the evening came, he took his daughter Leah. And brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her. We won't go into any details there. And Laban gave his servant Zilpa to his daughter as the attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. Now I'm not gonna go into any details here, but that had to be one heck of a feast to wake up and be surprised to who you're in bed with, right? And that sounds like a modern-day um, you know, yeah, mess right there. He's like, wait, what a second, Leah? <laughs> that had to break her heart too, whenever he was so disappointed. Um, Jacob said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why did you deceive me? And he replied, well, it's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. So the older daughters get dibs, right? Nikki, you're the oldest, right? You got dibs, right? Married first. (laughs) Not in our culture, sorry. Unless you let your dad decide who you marry, then then you're good, right? (laughs) So he said, finish this daughter's bridal week. And then I'll give you the younger one as well, in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. Didn't even bad eye, didn't even argue or debate or, you know, try to, uh, you know, work a deal. He did it. He finished the week with Leah, and Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. So you got a mess right there. You got one man, two wives. I mean, I just, I can't imagine. One's enough, you know, no offense or anything, Becky, but I'll, 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 I'll stick with one. So he finished the work. Laban gave his servant Bilha to be his, to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. Now I just want you to kind of imagine, if you can, this morning how it must have felt to be Leah—you know, a huge disappointment to your husband. He, he loves your sister way more than you. He's willing to work 14 years just to be married to Rachel. And he didn't want to be married to Leah at all. No interest whatsoever. Leah just wasn't enough for Jacob, although she longed to be. And she tried to be the best wife she could be, but she could just never measure up. She was never enough for Jacob. His love for Rachel was just always greater she knew that, that her younger sister would just always best her in every way. You know, feelings of je- jealousy, rejection, disappointment, depression. I mean, think about how she must have felt. Anxiety and depression, they, they are not easy things to deal with in life. And if you've ever struggled with any of these emotions, you know how challenging it can be to feel like you're giving your everything and it's just not enough You're working as hard as you can day and night, and yet you can never pay the bills, you know? Or you just want that person's affection no matter what you do. It just never seems like you measure up. In Leah's case, as well as our own, God is aware of our pain and our suffering. Now, that might sound like a word of discouragement to you. Like, if he knows about it, why doesn't he do something about it? Hang in there. Be patient. Trust him. He sees it. He's aware of it. And he is working things together for your good if you just hang in there. So God chose to step in, in this case. He chose to honor Leah over Rachel. Perhaps the first time this ever happened in their lives. We continue in verse 31. It says, "...when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. But Rachel remained childless. Purely an act of God. There's nothing that either of these women could do to change their situation." God enabled Leah to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. Well, apparently his feelings were unchanged. So in verse 33, she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord has heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. And so she named him Simeon. And apparently, yet again, Jacob's feelings toward her were unchanged. In verse 34, says, Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to... It sounds like my wife, three kids in a row, one year after the other, you know. <laughs> it's like reliving history all over again. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to his son, she said, Now at last, my husband will at least become attached to me, because I've borne him three sons. And it was a great honor in their culture to give birth to sons. Incredible honor. Especially a firstborn son. They inherited everything. And yet still apparently Jacob's feelings were unchanged. And so she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, yet another honor, another blessing. She said, this time I'm going to praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Judah. And then she stopped having children. You see, something happened here. Not in Leah's circumstances, but in Leah's attitude. Something changed. Something transformed. Something broke. Though her circumstances didn't change, she was no longer living and responding based on the standards that somebody else set on her. She was not trying to live up to someone else's expectations of her. She decided whether her husband loved her or not, she was going to praise the Lord for this son. And something happened. Something changed. Because she came to the conclusion that nothing she could do would ever be enough to earn the love of Jacob. He was always going to love Rachel more. It was just a reality. Instead of expecting that her fourth son would somehow gain his love, she just gave him praise. Gave the Lord praise. And as a result, she named him, quite appropriately, Judah, right? Judah, you may have heard of the tribe of Judah, who became the nation of Judah whenever the southern kingdom split off of Israel. That kingdom was the kingdom that was blessed. Judah, this child, it was through this tribe, through this child, through his family, through his descendants, that Jesus was born. That he was given a place, a throne, a place of authority for all eternity Jesus, king of kings and lord of lords, was born through the tribe of Judah. His blessings rested and followed this son throughout the course of history and even beyond it. It was through the nation of Judah that God's promises were fulfilled. And so I want to encourage you that when you're feeling maybe like Leah, like life just keeps kicking you and nothing you ever can do is enough, when you feel depressed, when you feel unloved, when you feel rejected, when you feel the anxiety rising up, when you feel discouraged, I want to encourage you to be like Leah. Praise God. Just just choose to praise God in the midst of those things and watch what happens. Good stuff comes your way. There's tremendous power in praise. We know how we respond when we're praised, right? It doesn't matter how down in the dumps you are. If somebody comes along and gives you an encouraging word... All of a sudden, life isn't so bad anymore, right? So you got a little spring in your step. You know, it lifts you up and encourages you, right? That's what prophecy does. It encourages people. Um, we know what it does to exalt us, to give us even courage and confidence. You know, I, I, I've watched, you know, the girls at these ages playing softball, you know, you see that girl, she's just struck out three times, you know, this game. But man, the coach gives her a word of encouragement. She goes up there. All of a sudden, she's got confidence when she holds that bat. And she swings with her everything, right? Why? Because someone believes in her. Somebody gave her the courage that she needed to get up and to try again and to give it her everything. That's what praise does to us, Right. It makes us go above and beyond for the source of that praise. That's what happens whenever we receive it. When we choose to give praise, something happens in us as well. Praise shifts our focus and it corrects our attitude in life. When we're praising God, what we're choosing to do is to take our eyes off of our circumstances and to put them on him. And that changes things. Although nothing changes, everything changes, right? Although your circumstances remain the same, your attitude changes. And back to that, uh, you know, uh, quote from Chuck Swindoll. You know, 10% of what happens to you in life, 90% your attitude. When that shifts, everything changes for you. Because it's hard to be depressed or grumpy or worried or angry when we're genuinely praising God. It is hard for you to be worried about anything when you're praising God for who he is and what he has done and what he has promised to do in your life. I mean, it is hard to be worried about your situation whenever your eyes are fixed on the God of all the universe, whom there's nothing too hard for. All of a sudden, that problem is like nothing, right? We have a quote up in the office, you know, don't, don't, tell, your, your, don't tell God how big your problem is. Isn't that what our prayers usually are like? Tell your problem how big your God is, right? Give Him some praise. Start praising. Praising in the midst of your trials and tribulations. When we remember God, it's it's hard not to have joy and to have excitement and to start hoping again. It's hard not to have hope when you remember who God is and what He is like and what He has done and what He has promised and all these things. There's just no way to stay down in that thing, right? I mean, I've tried it before. I've went into worship services with my arms crossed and just ticked off at the world. I don't want to be here. Why'd you drag my button to church? But when I start actually worshiping, when I actually start praising, all that just melts away and I'm just like thrilled to be here, you know? Praise changes everything. When we choose to give praise to God, I mean, think about it. Think about what happens when you get praise. Now think about what happens when God gets some praise. Because he doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't need a thing from you. But when you choose to voluntarily and willing give him praise, think about what that does to the heart of the Father. It exalts him. It lifts him up. He's enthroned on our praise. And the next thing you know, he just wants to bless you. Right? I mean, it just just seems to be what happens. One of the most powerful examples of this happening, and you probably read about it before, praise-changing situations is found in 2 Chronicles 20. Here, I'm not going to read it for time's sake. Jehoshaphat, who is the king of Judah... Believe it or not, the king of Judah, the king of praise here, he finds himself in trouble. The Moabites, the Ammonites, with some of the muenites I'm not really familiar with their history, even though I studied churches, I don't know, I don't remember what they're all about. But anyways, those three came together and they decided they're going to wage war against the nation of Judah. And this vast army, from worldly standards, could have annihilated in a heartbeat, the nation of, of Judah. Their army was nothing in comparison to these three combined. And so what did the king of Judah do? What did Jehoshaphat do? He called a fast. It sounds like you're in a Pentecostal church, but this was an entire nation. He called a fast. Every woman, every child, every man, they fasted. And then they came together Because as Sharon shared this morning, we need to not be in the habit of not gathering together. We need to be in the habit of gathering together. Something powerful happens when we join together in praise to our Lord. Something powerful shifts and breaks in, in the spiritual climate, right? He called a fast and they came together and they started just seeking after God in worship. The king led them in a prayer, and then the spirit came on a Levite named Jehaziel, right? Brother Jehaziel. I mean, it just sounds like a Pentecostal service to me. I love it. This entire nation comes together. And he gave a prophetic word that the battle was not theirs, but that the battle was the Lord's. And that he would deliver them from these enemies. In fact, he gave a prophetic word they wouldn't need to fight at all. And so the people responded to this prophetic word. Man, some of them were bowed down in worship. They were just laid out on the floor worshiping God. And some of them, like me, they're big mouths and they're just shouting their praise as loud as they can. Just shouting and praising and worshiping God. Can you imagine a whole nation in one place doing this? The tribe of Judah, the rejected one who chose Leah, who chose to give praise when that son was born, Look at the generational impact and effect that that had. Now he's leading a nation. He became a nation. And he is a nation of praise. Not like all the other whiners and complainers that are getting destroyed by the enemies. They are a nation of praise. And they triumph every time. We continue on here in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20, verse 21. We're going to pick up there. Because that nation could have rose up in fear. They had no earthly reason to give praise. By every earthly standard, they were about to lose their lives. They were about to die at the sword. But instead of moving in fear, they moved in praise. They responded in praise. That was their attitude towards life. And in fact, the people said, you know what? They were in a good mood. They were praising and worshiping. Let's send the let's let's pick some guys that got some pretty good chords, you know some some good vocalists Let's send them out ahead of the army and let them praise the lord and that's what they did It seemed good to the people. God didn't even tell them to do that I always preach that god told them to do that the people said that seems good Let's do that and they did it because they believed the word of god They weren't gonna have to fight right they didn't send the worshipers out to the slaughter like I always preached before they believed the word of the Lord. They weren't going to have to fight. The battle was won. So let's send some praise out, right? And verse 20 says this, After consulting the people, Joseph had appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. Right? They weren't even going to praise. It would seem boastful, right? To go out and to, to have them praise because the battle was won. Neener, neener, you guys are just big fat wieners. We got this, right? You know, Their praise was not about gaining the victory over their enemy, Their praise was all about the splendor and the holiness of the Lord. It was all about Him. They were going out and they were praising Him. They went out and they sang, Give thanks to the Lord, because His love endures forever. I mean, think about that. Leading a nation, and an army, and they're just saying that. Over and over again, just praising it, worshiping. Give thanks to the Lord for His love endures forever. And as they began to sing in praise... Talk about timing. When they chose to do it, as soon as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah. And they were defeated. We didn't even hear about them before. They didn't receive intel about these guys. Then it goes on in verse 23. It says, The Ammonites and Moabites, who we heard about, they rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped destroy one another. They started fighting themselves. They destroyed themselves, this mighty army. And it says in verse 24, When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert, and they looked toward the vast army... They only saw dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off the plunder. You got some plunder waiting for you in those things that the enemy has destroyed, don't you? He stole some things from you, hasn't he? Has the enemy ever stolen anything from you? You got some plunder laying out there waiting. Go get it. Go get you that plunder, right? In fact, it says here that it took... There was such a great amount of equipment and clothing and articles of value that there was more than they could take away. It took three days for an entire nation to carry off the plunder. You want to talk about the blessing of God. Why? Because instead of responding in fear, they responded in praise. Because they were praising God, a prophetic word came and the Lord went and fought their battle for them. Think about how much different your life could be if when things came your way, and I'm preaching to myself right now, instead of being like, what am I going to do? How am I going to work this out? What in the world? How, I look at my spreadsheet financial, like, how in the world are we going to do this, you know? What if instead of worrying, we started just praising the Lord, just for who he is, just praising him, giving him that praise? How much more often in life would the Lord just fight our battles for us? right? So, so when you're faced with impossibilities, and you feel overwhelmed, and you feel, feel gripped with fear or anxiety, just praise God and see what happens. We find another powerful instance of praise. Nathan came and he confronted David about his affair with Bathsheba, right, and about how he had his, her husband Uriah slaughtered, murdered, messy situation. David responded to this confrontation in Psalm 51, First of all, he confesses his sin, he cries out for God's mercy, and he asks for the Lord to come and to cleanse him, to give him a new heart. And he said here in verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. How many have ever had their joy stolen away by the enemy? Yeah, I struggle with this one almost every day. Every day I turn on the news, I struggle with this one. My joy gets sucked away. It's like like the water in a bathtub, gone, you know? (laughs) Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit. Sometimes you just don't want to do it. And so David's like, I don't want to. Us guys, you ever get that way, stubborn boneheaded? I don't want to kick up your recliner. You can't make me, right? David was feeling that way. And so he cried out to God. He's like, God, give me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. So that sinners will turn back to you. He's going to seek and save the lost. Even before Jesus came, right? Deliver me from the guilt of my bloodshed, God. You who are God my Savior. And and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. Because you don't delay in sacrifice or I would have brought it. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. Man, he, he, this is why he had the heart of God. He knew this. God's law demanded that he go and offer so many bulls, rams, and lambs for the sins that he had committed. But David knew those things were nothing to the Lord. God didn't want those, please forgive me, Lord. God wanted something deeper, and he wants it from you too. He doesn't want, please forgive me, when you know you're going to go do it again. That's not what he's longing for, not what he's looking for. In verse 17, David said, my sacrifice, oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and a prideful heart, because I know, God, you won't despise them. What was David saying there in verse 17? I'm just going to give you all that I am. I'm broken. My spirit's busted up. My heart is broken. I'm a prideful, arrogant man. I'm just going to give it all to you. And he said he knew that God would not despise such a sacrifice. And so I want to encourage you when you've completely blown it, when you went, done, gone, and sinned against your brother or sister or God Himself or sinned against yourself, right? When you've blown it completely, actually give praise to God. David said, I'll give you praise. You know, open my, my mouth, give me, my praise will be on my lips. Another powerful instance of praise. When we should praise, is found in Acts 16. We just talked about this a few weeks ago. And uh, here we find just an amazing thing happened. Acts 16, verse 22. It says, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. They were out there sharing the good news about Jesus. And a big old crowd rises up against them. It says, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and they were singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. I mean, what choice did they have? They're probably like, shut up already! Try to sleep here! You know, it's midnight. Come on. What is your deal? What is your problem? Of course, we all know how the story ends in verse 26. Man, when you whew, when you choose to give praise in your darkest hour, when you choose to give praise, when you, you're beaten down and you got no place to go, they hit rock bottom. They're laying there naked with, you know, all kinds of wounds all over their body, just gotten beat severely, flogged. A lot of people die from being flogged, right? I, I can't imagine. Even in that situation, with their feet in stocks and they're all chained up man they're praising God they're praising God and in verse 26 it says suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken at once all the prison doors flew open everyone's chains came loose right Talk about another Pentecostal service right there. Chains are breaking free. People who don't deserve to be set free are being set free. Why? Because Paul and Silas chose to praise God. That's all they did. All that they did was choose to praise God in the the, the pit of their despair. And God sets them free and sets everyone around them free. It's like he got in a good mood and he's just like, boom. You know, freedom for everyone. You know, you get some freedom, you get some freedom, you get some freedom. It's yours, right? It literally physically delivered them from their bondage, along with everyone around them, because they chose to praise God. That is what praise can do. These are just a few instances, and I could go on and on and on and on, although I don't think anybody wants me to here, about the power of praise. Times when God's people chose to just give God some praise that he's so worthy of, right? When they chose to just put themselves aside, put their circumstances aside, put away their whining and complaining and grumbling, and just to praise God for nothing else, just for who he is. Because he's so good. When you see who God is, how can you help but to give him praise? How can your praise not be overflowing? exuberant joyful i mean you know i don't know if you've ever experienced it before i can't even put it into words it's like you feel like you're going to explode because you just can't give him the praise that he's worthy of like everything that you do every expression of praise that you can possibly give him it's just not enough you just want to give him more right that's how we ought to be in life no matter what comes our way we give god praise And what does God do when he is exalted, when he is lifted? You just gave him authority in your life. What do you think God's going to do with that authority that you just gave him? He just enthroned him on your praise. He's going to set some prisoners free, isn't he? He's going to bless you above your sister, who's always been the better one. All of a sudden, you're going to be honored. You're going to be exalted. You're going to be glorified. You're going to receive the blessings of God. You're going to receive the promises of God. If you just keep that attitude of praise... If you maintain that attitude of praise, his promises are coming. I have no doubt. Why? Because you have no doubt. You can't doubt what God is able to do when you're giving him praise. It, it just wipes away and washes away all doubt. It reminds me of when, like, you, you've got something, like, uh, oh, okay, I'm, I'm not sure how to share this, but, you know, when an, or. We're hand-washing dishes at home. The dishes don't always get all that clean. And I'm like, I'm, you know, pouring in my, my fruit punch and all of a sudden something floats to the surface, you know? That's what praise does sorry, bad analogy, but it takes all that junk that's in there, you may not even know it was in there, right? That junk in your life that you didn't even know was there, when you start praising God, when you start filling up your life with an attitude of praise, when you start exalting God, that junk, it rises up, and guess what happens if you just keep on praising? It's gone, washed away, purified, cleansed. That's what praise can do in your life, it can create within you a pure heart. It can create within you that this, this immovable, unstoppable de- determination, this confidence that nothing can shake, that nothing can steal away. And you, just like the nation of Judah, it doesn't matter how big your enemies are, their plunder is yours. What they got that they're threatening you against, every weapon formed against you, guess what? No, not only will they fail, they're now yours. They're your weapons now. The nation of Israel went in and took everything, all the equipment, all the things of value. It's now yours. I mean, think, talk about that. Praise takes your worship, W-A-R-S-H-I-P, to the next level. Not only does this weapon not touch you, it's yours. And you get to use it against the enemy, right? It's amazing. It's awesome. So when you're mistreated, when you're in need of deliverance, just praise God. And I won't even go into the easy one. When life's good, praise God. You know, I say that kind of jokingly, but you know, the number one time that God warned his people in his word about forgetting him was when things were good. The number one time that you will stop praising God is not when life gets hard. I can tell you, everybody turns to God. My phone rings off the hook when life's hard. No one ever calls me whenever life is going good for them and they're blessed. They're like, hey pastor, you know, man, I just want to praise God. No, but they're in here at the altar whenever life is, you know, stinking, right? When life is good, don't forget to praise God. Praise him in every season, through every season because guess what? Every season comes to an end. Every season comes to an end. Your season of lack, your season of bondage, your season of you know, season of despair, it's coming to an end. And your season of prosperity, well life is life. It's going to come to an end at some point, right? So give him praise in everything and through everything. If for no other reason, just praise God for who he is. If you can't muster up a single reason on this earth why you should give him praise, at least praise him for who he is. And then you'll start seeing all the other blessings to give him praise for all around, right? It's just amazing what happens. Amazing what happens. I'm going to skip the Timothy part, right? So, you know, we have this scripture, and we are well aware of it. First, no, no, not this one. We already read that. First Thessalonians, rejoice always. Give him praise always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Why? Because that's God's will for you. It's God's will for you. If you're in a situation of life and you don't know what to do, you have no idea how you're supposed to handle this situation in life, I'm going to tell you right now, it's God's will for you to give him some praise. To praise, to, to rejoice, to pray, and to give thanks. Do that. Do that and see what happens. He'll probably give you direction from there, or he may just fight your battle for you. We never think about that, right? Things may have come our way just so that we give him some praise, and he'll just fight the battle for us. Right? We're like, oh, Lord, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? What do you want me to, you know? And he's just like, well, just, are you, you going to ask me for help? I mean, are you are going to, you know, give me some praise? And he'll do it. <sighs> so, Okay. In closing, I'm going to close here. Otherwise, I'm going to go on forever and ever and ever because I just love this topic. I mean, it's just, it's convicting me and encouraging me all at the same time. I feel like a miserable bum for all the whining and complaining. And what is that? Praising the enemy, isn't it? Isn't that just praising the enemy? Oh, it's so bad. Man, did you see the other day on Fox News? This, this is happening, and this is happening. There is this ring, and the coin shortage. And man, you know, you're just, you're just singing the praises of the enemy. Keep singing it, brother. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing. Keep praising it. Yeah, spread the word. Spread the word about what I'm doing. Spread the word. I'm destroying your nation. Yeah, keep it up. Keep it up, right? That's what I do. But what's God wanting me to do? Repent of doing that and be like, you know what? God's in control. He reigns sovereign. Nothing happens without him knowing about it and allowing it. Look at Job's life. No destruction comes your way without God being like, go ahead. In fact, what did God do with Job? Hmm, you're down there looking around the earth looking for somebody. Have you considered my servant Job? (laughs) God recommended the enemy destroy him. Think about that. But why? Because God wanted to prove faithful. He gave double. He restored double what the enemy had stolen in the end, didn't he? can we trust God that much? If he did it for Job, will he not do it for us? What you're going through is nothing compared to what Job went through. If he could do it for him, can he do it for you, right? He can do it. He can restore. He can redeem. He can rebuild. He is God. Give him some praise and watch what he does. And so we're going to end this service in a very traditional way. I don't know which, you know, denominations necessarily do this. I I know, I think I've been in a Uh, a Baptist church that ended this way. We're going to end with the doxology. If you know it, you can cite it along with me. If you don't know it, it's okay. We're going to do it twice. We're going to do it twice together. We're going to go all Pentecostal whenever we're doing it. And we're going to give God some praise, right? So let's just close here together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. I mean, come on, give Him some praise, right? Let's do that again, yeah! Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Yeah, love it. Give Him some praise, right? Stand up. Worship however you feel, but let's give God some praise here. All right, so remember, the battle is not yours, it is the Lord's, right? Give him some praise, because we've got a room full of victors here, right? You are more than conquerors through Christ who gives you strength. He's going to strengthen you, he's going to equip you as you simply respond with praise for who he is. So Jesus, we do give you praise and honor and glory, Lord, and honor. You are so worthy of all that we have to give. So Jesus, no matter what our circumstances are, no matter what the world is throwing at us, Lord, we will respond with praise. We will respond with an attitude of thanksgiving for who you are. We will keep our eyes fixed on you because we know that we're not going to camp out in this valley. We're going through it to mountains of victory. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the spoils of warfare that you freely give us, Lord, as we give you praise. So praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord, for who you are, our mighty King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who has gone ahead of us, the one who is with us, the one who has gone behind us, Lord. You are faithful and true, and we just thank you and we praise you, Lord, in every season in your name. Amen. Amen.